take your Bibles and turn to Mark the ninth chapter. Mark the ninth chapter. I want to I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of is there something more? Well, I, I, I've got good news for you this morning that in God there is always something more. Let me say that again. In God, there is always something more. Pastor, how can you say that? Because God's Word says this. It says, to him it was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or can even imagine. Right? According to the power that is already at work within you. So with God, because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine, you can always be confident that there's something more. This morning, I want to talk to you about how to, how to become aware of that something more, how to embrace that something more, how to step into that something more. And, and we see it uh, in, in Mark's gospel. And, uh, and this is recorded in, in both Mark chapter 9, and it's also recorded in, in Matthew chapter 17. It, and it's a story of, of Jesus healing the young, the young boy who was demon-possessed. And, 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 and here's what it tells us. Uh, in Mark chapter, chapter 9, it tells us this, starting in verse number 14. It said that when they, came, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing uh, with them about, he asked. And a man in the crowd answered, and he said, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus responds. He says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring, bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy with him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has the boy been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, Jesus' response is telling it also, it's expected. If you can do anything, help us. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus' response is this. If, if I can, <laughs> oh, friend, understand this. Everything is possible to him who believes. God, I thank you for your word today. I pray that you'd make it a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. God, we commit these moments to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Everything is possible to him who believes. So then, God, if everything is possible to those who believe, why is it that we don't see the impossible become possible on a regular basis. Your word talks about signs and wonders. It says signs and wonders will follow them that believe. But why is it, oh God, that we don't see signs and wonders on a regular basis? Well, if we look in Mark's gospel, we find an interesting aspect to the disposition of Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples, they're engaged in ministry. This man brings his son who is dealing with demonic possession. They do what they think that Jesus does, and it doesn't work. 
I don't know if you've ever that ha- had that happen in your life where you follow what you believe to be biblical protocol, you follow what you believe to be the scriptural example, and yet it doesn't work. God, I prayed for breakthrough, and it didn't work. God, I prayed for wisdom, it didn't work. God, I, I prayed for provision, it didn't work. God, I prayed for healing, it didn't work. And we find ourselves in this place of going, why is it that I do what Jesus demonstrated or I do what Jesus instructed and it doesn't work? Because that's the place that the disciples find themselves here in Mark's gospel, in Mark 19, and and also recorded in Matthew 17. They did what Jesus modeled, they did what Jesus instructed, yet it seemingly did not work. This is the reason why after this interaction with this man and his son, The disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, why is it that it didn't work? Well, we can learn something from the context. First of all, we can talk about the attitude, the approach of the disciples. Because it's interesting that as they are engaged in ministry, right, Jesus has them involved, Jesus has them engaged in ministry, they have this situation happen where this young boy needs to be delivered and they don't have the ability to to, to bring deliverance to this young boy, it seems. Even after all that happening, they make their way from this to Capernaum. And along the way, if, if you look, this, is, this, this is, is recorded still in Mark chapter 9. It says, uh, starting in verse number 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, referring to Jesus, when Jesus was in the, in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So, they're out doing ministry, right? Engaged in all this activity. They come to this, this, this place. They try to do ministry. They try to do God-empowered ministry, and they fail. They fail miserably. Jesus comes along. Jesus picks up the pieces, fixes the situation, and then they continue along their way. Even in that, as they're continuing along the road, you know what their argument is over? Who's the best? Their argument is over who's the greatest. See, their motivation behind doing ministry their, their heart and connecting with God, there's still, there's something missing. I, I'm convinced, friend, that this, this is the reason why Jesus told them in this, at this time, why Jesus told them as they were dealing with the young boy, listen, if you have faith, you can do anything. But understand this, sometimes it requires prayer and fasting. Sometimes it requires prayer and fasting. It's interesting to me that Jesus had to tell his disciples, listen, to see some of these breakthroughs, you've got to engage in prayer, you've got to engage in fasting. Listen, in order to see these miracles, listen, in order to see these victories, what you've got to do is this, is you've got to engage spiritually. It would would seem that even Jesus' disciples were caught up in the activity of life to the point that they weren't engaged in a healthy way in spiritual disciplines. I'm convinced that far too many of us as Jesus followers, we find ourselves in the same place as the disciples in in, in the story that we find in Mark's gospel, the ninth chapter. 
And that is this, we want God to move in power in our lives. We want to walk as overcomers in our day. We want to see victory along our journey. And yet, more often than not, we face challenges that seem far too great for us. And we, we face opportunities for success only to experience failure, and then we wonder why. And if we're not careful, it can ravage our faith. When in reality, the issue is this. The issue is that we have failed to engage in spiritual warfare to the degree that God's Word tells us that we will and demonstrates how we should and, and models actually all throughout history. So this morning, what I want to do is two things. Number one is I want to take a few moments and I want to talk to you about the principle of fasting. And then the second thing that I want to do is this, as a church, believing that God, all that God did through us in 2017 is wonderful, believing that God is calling us to a much greater 2018, I'm going to call you as a church, I'm going to challenge us as a body to begin the new year in a time of prayer and fasting, specifically a 21-day fast that is often referred to as a Daniel fast. Let me explain. I want to talk to you about this issue of, of fasting. And I, I know that, um, that for some, for some, the, the idea of fasting is an emotional uh, subject, and it's also a, a volatile subject. And, and part of the reason that it's an emotional subject and it's a, volunt- a volatile subject is because fasting touches on something that's very personal to us, right? Food. Food is a very personal thing, isn't it? I have found this, that there are some people who just eat to live, right? And then there are others that live to eat. Now, let, let, me, let me make a confession to you. I am a live-to-eat guy. And, and people look at me and they'll go, Pastor, you're relatively thin. Surely you're not a live-to-eat guy. Some of you know this. Some of you don't know this. I run on average 125 miles a month. And people ask me the question. They go, Pastor, do you enjoy running? No, I hate running. I loathe running. But I love eating. And so I have to do something to where I can continue to fit into my clothes. Right? And so I am a food guy. I don't just eat to survive. I eat because I love eating. And many of us, we're that way. We love to eat. Now, some of us, we eat as a response to issues in life, right? Some of us, we will eat as a way of dealing with anxiety, as a way of dealing with depression, as a way of dealing with, with, with boredom. We'd, we'd rather, uh, we'd rather uh, live to eat uh, and, and, and function in that. Right? And so, it, it's, a, it's a subject um, that can be highly emotional. It also, I found this, uh, fasting is not a, um, it's just, it's, it's not a talked about, it. it's an untraditional subject anymore. And yet, the Scriptures have a lot to say about fasting. In fact, let, let me give you, let me give you just a, a, a small sample of, of the biblical persons who fasted uh, in Scripture, kind of a who's who of, uh, uh, of Scripture. Moses fasted. David fasted, Elijah fasted, Esther fasted, Daniel fasted, Anna the prophetess fasted, Jesus fasted, 
Paul fasted. There's more teaching in the New Testament on fasting than there is on repentance and and confession. Jesus taught more about fasting than he did about the Lord's Supper. And isn't it interesting that churches will once a month have communion, but we don't on a regular basis fast. See, it is, a, it is an absolutely biblical principle. Now, what, what would account for this almost total disregard for a subject that's so frequently mentioned in Scripture? First of all, fasting did develop in, in, in the Middle Ages, it developed a, a, a somewhat of a bad reputation because of some excessive practices. Second, many have concluded that fasting was a Jewish custom that had no value or no need in the Christian age. And third, we've been convinced through constant propaganda that if we don't have three large meals each day with several small snacks in between. We're on the verge of starvation. We eat not because we need to eat. We eat because it's time to eat. Because the Bible has so much to say about fasting, it just seems right that we consider what it says. And I want to share with you some, some thoughts. Number one is this. When did, when did God's people fast in Scripture? Well, they fasted on the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 6, uh, 16 uh, shares that with us, 16, 29 through 32, and Leviticus 23, 26 through 32. Here's what it says. It says, and this shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native nor the alien who sojourns among you, for it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you may humble your souls. It's a permanent statute. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on exactly the 10th day of the seventh month, uh, it is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. And you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. Neither sh shall you do any work uh, on the same day for it is the day of atonement to make atonement on your on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there's any person that will not humble themselves on this same day, he shall be cut off from his people. As for any person who does any work on this day, that person I will also destroy from among his people. You shall do no work at all. It is to be a permanent statute uh, throughout all generations in all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and, on, uh, and, and you shall humble your souls on the, on the ninth month from at evening, uh, at evening from evening until, until evening you shall keep your Sabbath. Okay, the, the, the principle of the Sabbath, okay, and the principle of a fast connected is we see this going throughout Scripture, all right? So here's what it tells us. It tells us that in, and, and we know this both Old Testament and New Testament, right? So Old Testament, Psalm 69 tells us this. When I came and when I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I became, uh, when I made my sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the, in the gate will talk about me, and I am a song among the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to thee, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in thy, in thy greatness of thy, th of thy loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. So the, the fast was... Um, the, the, the fast on the Day of Atonement was the only fast that was commanded by law to be observed on the 10th day of the 7th month, okay? And we see it happening in Old Testament. We also see it happening in New Testament. Acts 27.9 tells us this, and when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous since even the fast was over. So we know that they were fasting Old Testament. We know that they were fasting, fasting New Testament. Some other fasts in the Old Testament, okay? They fasted in war or at the threat of it. 
Judges 20, 24 through 26 tells, tells us this. That then the sons of Israel came against the sons of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah the second day and fell to the ground again. 18,000 men of the sons of Israel, all these drew their sword. Then all the sons of Israel uh, and all the people went up and came to Bethel and wept. Thus they remained before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. So they fasted as a direction that the Lord gave on the Day of Atonement. They fasted in time of war or at the threat of war. They fasted when loved ones were sick. David fasted and wept for his son while the boy was ill. Okay? The Psalms is also mentions fasting for their enemies. They fasted when loved ones died. This is what it says in 1 Samuel 31, 11 through 13. Now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men rose and walked all night and took the body of Saul and the body of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and buried them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh. And they fasted seven days. David and the people fasted for Saul and they fasted for Jonathan. They also, they fasted when they sought God's forgiveness, right? Moses fasted 40 days because of the sins of Israel. Ahab fasted to be forgiven. Nineveh fasted uh, at, at the preaching of Jonah. Daniel fasted as he confessed the sins of Israel. The general fasted at the communal reading by the law uh, of Ezra as an act of repentance. They fasted uh, to commemorate certain issues. They fasted, they fasted, they fasted, they fasted, they fasted. Okay? This issue of fasting, abstaining from food for a period of time for the purpose of focusing, turning our focused attention to the Lord, it is clear, it is, it, it, it is woven throughout the Old Testament. But, but it, it's, not just in, it's not just in the Old Testament. We also find we also find this issue of fasting throughout the New Testament, okay? Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus taught fasting in his Sermon on the Mount. When questioned by his disciples, by, by John's disciples rather, Jesus talked about this issue of fasting. There was fasting in the church. The church at Antioch fasted. It says this in Acts chapter 13. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Right? They fasted in the churches in Galatia. It says this in Acts 14. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here's what we find. We find this issue of fasting happening in Old Testament as early as Moses. We find our biblical heroes fasting. David fasted. Elijah fasted. We find it happening in, in not just the superheroes, but we find groups fasting. Right? When, when the people of Nineveh receive the message to repent, there is a fast that is called. And they are so serious about it that they declare that not only will all the people fast, but they declare that even all the animals will fast. Now, I'm not telling you that Fido has to join us in the Daniel fast. But make no mistake, this issue of engaging in spiritual disciplines, friend, you're going to find it throughout Scripture. 
You're going to find these principles of prayer and fasting all throughout Old Testament, all throughout New Testament. Right? Paul demonstrates this issue of fasting. Fasting was a mark of his ministry. Listen to this from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. He goes on, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, and by sincere love. Paul says this, my ministry is marked by fasting. He also taught that fasting should have a place in the lives of others, right? Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says this, do not deprive one another, when it's talking about the relationship between husband and wife, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. So we cannot deny this issue of, of fasting taking place all throughout biblical history, all throughout God's people. So, so the question is this, should Christians fast today? The resounding answer obviously is yes. Why? Because of the teachings of Jesus. Notice this, in Jesus' first recorded public, public sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made this declaration in Matthew chapter 6. He says, and when you fast, notice it doesn't say if you fast. The declaration that Jesus gives is when you fast. See, Jesus is operating under the thought that naturally you would engage in this spiritual discipline, right? He says when, not if, okay? And he says, listen, when, when, when I am gone, my disciples will fast. He says this in Matthew chapter 9 in response to John's disciples. He also taught us how to fast. Our fast was to incur God's favor and that when done properly, fasting would indeed increase incur God's favor, that fasting should be done only when the occasion properly calls for it. Matthew, Matthew chapter 9 tells us this, and that there will be occasions when both prayer and fasting are needed for spiritual breakthrough. And we see that in the story of the demoniac boy. So should Christians fast today? Yes, because the teachings of Jesus clearly state that it should be a part of our spiritual journey. Yes, because we also have the examples of the church fasting. We have the brethren at Antioch, right? The, Acts, chapter, Acts, Acts chapter 13 tells us this. They fasted in their service to the Lord, that there was fasting and praying when they send out Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. We have fasting in the churches in Galatia. There was fasting in every church, and they, 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 an area specifically where they fasted was when they were appointing leadership. So, should we fast? Yes, because it's in the teachings of Jesus. Yes, because it's modeled in the local church. Yes, because Paul fasted at a, as a minister of Christ. So, yes, we should fast. Now, the question is why? Why should we fast? Well, the Bible is replete with, with explanation of why we should fast. Christians should fast because there are so very many times when we're in need of divine help. This is consistent with the majority of fasting in the Old Testament. They fasted, as I mentioned earlier, in the times of war or at the threat of it, when loved ones were sick, when seeking God's forgiveness, when seeking God's protection, when dealing with temptations, right? That's Jesus getting into the New Testament, when serving the Lord, when beginning a work for the Lord, when selecting and appointing leadership, 
And it's, it shows us this, that fasting done in conjunction with prayer and, and prayer, when done properly, it will, Psalm 35, 13 tells us it will, it will humble the soul. And Psalm 69, 10 tells us that it will chasten the soul. And the prayers of a humble person are much more likely to be heard. Ezra records that and makes that very clear to us. So if, if fasting should be a part of the Christian life, then it does make sense that we look at it more closely. And, and now let me, let me say this as I'm, as, as, I'm, as I'm rolling through this. Here's what I know. There are sometimes, in fact, let, let, me, let me let you in on a little secret on, on Sermon Preparation 101. Sermon Preparation 101, here's what you want. You want inspiration, information, and application. And, and, and honestly, that's what I shoot for every Sunday. Inspiration, I, 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 I want to share something with you that is inspired by God. I don't want to get up and just talk to you about what I want to talk to you about. I want it to be uh, something that is from God. And I also want it to touch you, right? I, I, I want to inspire you in some way. I want to make you laugh. I want to make you cry. I want to move you somehow. On a Sunday morning. If I can't make you cry, I can at least make you laugh. Uh, and that just comes naturally to me because, well, it just because it just, I'm, uh, anyway. And uh, information. I, I, I want to give you uh, new knowledge or I want to remind you of something or reinforce something in. And then application. How do you apply this to your life? And, and I will tell you this. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, some messages will be more inspirational. Some messages will be more informational. And, and this morning is one of those messages that here's what I know. I know that it borders on a lot, a lot of information. But my concern is this, is that so many of us have such a poor understanding of fasting. I want to give you as much information in the, in the limited amount of time on fasting that I possibly can. And here's what I want you to leave with today. I want you to leave with this knowledge that the idea of fasting, going without food for a period of time, for the, for, the, for the express purpose of devoting my attention away from food and devoting my attention to God, that it is a biblical principle. That it's a biblical principle that I see throughout the Old Testament, that I see throughout the New Testament. That it was something that godly people did, not just these spiritual elitists, but even the most common person did. And, and that it, it's something that has carried on throughout history. That it is something that the early church model, that it's something that the contemporary church, that the, the, the church that we're a part of today, should be engaged in. And why should we do it? We should do it because of those very reasons and because God has given it to us as a tool in our arsenal. Because the last thing that I want is this, is to find myself in the place that the disciples found themselves in in, in, in Matthew 19, uh, Matthew 17 in Mark chapter 9, where they found themselves facing a spiritual challenge that they could not respond to because they were not spiritually prepared. They were too busy trying to figure out who was the greatest instead of humbling themselves and allowing the power and the presence of Almighty God work through them to bring about the miraculous. And what fasting does is it humbles the soul and it chastens the soul. So absolutely, uh, we should fast. Now, how should we fast? Well, the Bible's very clear on that as well. It tells us this, that when we fast, we should not fast as to, as to be seen by men. Here's what it says in Matthew's gospel, in, in starting in the 16th verse. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, now let me, let me 
talk to you a little bit practically about this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, listen, when you fast, don't fast in such a way that it's, that it's seen by men. Now, here's what that does not mean. It doesn't mean that when you're fasting, that what you have to do is that you have to keep this top secret. All right? So, if you are going to, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're in a time of, of, of prayer and fasting and, and someone invites you to dinner, okay, I, I'm, you know what, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't join you. Do, do you have something else on the, on, on, on the calendar? No, but I can't join you. Well, is it that you don't like me? Uh, no, it's just like I can't, I can't join you, okay? Listen, telling someone you're fasting, it does not short circuit the fast, Okay? Telling someone you're fasting does not rob you of the blessing, the benefit of fasting. It's okay to say, listen, I'd love to join you for lunch today. Actually, this is the day that I set aside for prayer and fasting. I'd be more than happy to join you on another day. Okay? That's different from going, I don't know if you've noticed today, um, but I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't look my best. And I don't look my best because I'm fasting. I, I don't know if you know what that means, but it means this. It means I'm going without food. I haven't had any breakfast. I haven't had any lunch. And I'm probably not going to have any dinner because I'm fasting. And, and, and if I seem even a little bit irritable today, know this. It's because I'm going without food because I'm trying to get closer to the Lord because I'm fasting. I just, I, I, please, please know. I, and, and in fact, I need you to be patient with me today because I'm fasting. That would be a bit much, don't you think? And so, when Jesus says, and when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. See, in, in Jesus' day, it would not be uncommon for people to fast. So, for someone to say, listen, I, I, I won't be joining you for dinner today because I'm fasting, that would not be something that people would, Whoa! you know, they, 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 that just would not have been their approach. It, 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 it was, a, it was a, a part of their spiritual discipline. It was a part of their, their routine. And so Jesus was saying, listen, when you do this, don't make a big deal about it, all right? And so when we do it, we don't do it to be seen by men. We also, we don't do it as just some sort of regular ritual, right? Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 9. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts an, a, a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is worse. Nor do they put wine in old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. What is Jesus talking about, about this wine and wineskins? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that you don't take all these old traditions and try to apply them to this new thing that God is doing. It would be easy if you don't read this to go, see what Jesus is saying this, was fast was Old Testament, it, does, it doesn't apply now. No, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, listen, my disciples in this time period, they are focusing on what I've called them to focus on. And don't be worried about the ritual. Now, was it important for Jesus' disciples to fast? Here's what you have to do. You have to contrast what we see here in Matthew chapter 9 with what we read in Mark chapter 9. Right? So in Matthew chapter 9, John's disciples are saying, Jesus, how come your disciples don't fast in a ritual fashion? 
And Jesus says, listen, I don't want them to get caught up in the rituals. And yet in Mark's gospel, they're not able to see the spiritual breakthrough. And Jesus says, listen, in order to see these kind of spiritual breakthroughs, you've got to be engaged in prayer and fasting. So, in Matthew chapter 9, is Jesus saying, don't fast? That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, don't let it become simply a ritual that you do. It should be in response to where you find yourself in the spiritual journey. It should be in response to what God is doing in the moment. If you simply do it as a ritual, if you simply do it as a form of legalism, it has no effect at all. It's also, it's not to be done without true repentance. Here's what the prophet Isaiah wrote, writes. He writes this, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with fists of wickedness. You will not fast as you do today uh, to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and, and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and, and that, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Fasting is also, it's not this magic bullet. What it is, is it's a tool that allows us to pause and to refocus. That really is the key. That's really what fasting is all about. It's about stopping, pausing, refocusing. It, it can't simply be this religious thing that we do. It's not done for show. It's not done to simply be religious. It's ineffective without, without a, a genuine effect of the heart. And yet, it is something that the church is called to do. It's something the church is called to do. There are, there are many different types or different models of fast that we find in Scripture. And, uh, and there, there, there are different, different approaches to this issue, to this issue of the fast. And uh, so let me, let me just walk you through some of this real quick. And then, and then I'm going to bring this to a close. So it tells us this, that the purpose of fasting was a natural reaction to what God was doing in the moment, right? And so uh, fasting, the normal means of fasting involved abstaining from all food, but normally not water, okay? 
Now, sometimes the fast was a partial fast, a restriction of diet, but not total abstention, okay? which, is, which is what the Daniel fast is. And I'll, I'll break that down here in, 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 in a moment. You'll, you'll hear people talk about they're fasting social media, they're fasting this, they're fasting that, they're fasting television. Uh, let, let, me, let, me just, let me just offer this to you. Um, here's, my, here's my encouragement. Live your life within the four corners of this book. Okay? And here's what I can tell you. The Bible, describes, the, the, Bible, the Bible describes very well, very specifically, this issue of fasting. And in, in the Bible, they always fasted food. Okay? So if you want a definition of fasting, okay, fasting is going in without food for a period of time for the expressed purpose of humbling my soul before the Lord and positioning myself to where I can recognize what God's doing within me and what God is wanting to speak to me and potentially what God's wanting to speak through me. Okay? There, there, were, there were, were occasions where there was an absolute fast, and that, as in the case of Nineveh, uh, they, they fasted food, they fasted water, and even, the, I mentioned this earlier, and even uh, the animals fasted, okay? Um, in the case of Queen Esther, that it also was an absolute fast. And, and it tells us this uh, in Esther chapter 4. It tells this, uh, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Okay? So, so fasting was going without food, um, uh, all food, or, or um, a, 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 a partial uh, um, a, a absence from food for a period of time. How long did fasts last in the, in the scripture, in scripture? A fast was most often for one day, okay? Uh, from sunrise to sunset, and after sundown, food would be taken. We see that in Judges chapter 20. We see that in 1 Samuel 14. We see that in 2 Samuel. Uh, a fast might be for one night. We see uh, Daniel fasted one night in Daniel 6.18. The fast of Esther continued for three days, day and night. Okay? At the burial of Saul, uh, the fast was seven days. David fasted seven days when his child was ill. The longest recorded uh, in Scripture were 40-day fasts by Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Okay? Now, we have these warnings concerning fasting, that fasting can very easily turn into an external show and ceremonial ritualism. And we, we, want, to, we want to avoid that. Uh, let, let me talk to you uh, uh, the, the, specifically about this issue of the fast, the type of fast that I uh, want to call the church to today. I want you to turn to the book of Daniel. And, uh, and, and we, we find in the, in, the, in the book of Daniel, we find the, the story of, of Daniel and his, and his, um, and his, and his uh, those who were serving among him. Okay? And it tells us this. Uh, starting in, we'll, we'll start in, in verse number three. It says, 
Then the king ordered Aspenaz, uh, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, uh, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Mishael, and Azariah are what we commonly refer to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their actual given names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, and it tells us this. It tells us in, in, in verse number 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Esariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and, and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. Here's, here's what we know. We know this. As we approach a new year, we are in need of God's knowledge and understanding. We're in need of God's wisdom and favor. We're in need of God's presence and power. And here's what I find. I find a biblical precedent that when a, a group of God followers finds themselves in a place such as Calvary is today, that it was the norm for that group of people to be called to a fast. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that we are in need of a tremendous breakthrough, not because we're at a place of desperation, more because we're at a place of opportunity. God has wonderfully positioned us, both individually and collectively, at an incredible place as we find ourselves at the dawn of a new year. And here's what I find. I find throughout Scripture, when God's people found themselves in such a place, it was often the norm that they would be called to a time of fasting. I believe that God wants signs and wonders to happen in our midst. I believe this. I believe that the story of the demoniac boy being healed, just as it was the norm for Jesus' ministry, I believe it should be the norm for the church today. People will often ask me, Pastor, why is it that we don't see more signs and wonders in our midst? And friend, one of my first answers to that is this. How much time are you spending in fasting and prayer? If the church is going to be if the church is going to be the body that God has called it to be, if we're going to be the witness that God has called us to be, if we're going to be the impact that God's called us to be, if we're going to live the victorious life that God wants us to live, friends, that means at some level we have to engage in the spiritual disciplines that God has explained to us in his word. And the issue of fasting is absolutely in his word. In your bulletin today, there is a, a small brochure on this issue of fasting and the fast that we're calling Calvary to as we start 
2018. We're calling you to a Daniel fast. A fast where we put away all of those savory things, all of those sweet things. And we eat just the basics in order to turn our attention away from the pleasure of food to the pleasure of the Lord. In order to turn our way from the satisfaction that we typically get from food and let God be our satisfaction. To turn ourselves away from the strength that we normally get from food and turn ourselves to the strength of the Lord. Because when we find our satisfaction in the Lord, when we find our joy in the Lord, when we find our strength in the Lord, what we will discover is this, is He is all that we need. And God wants to move you beyond where you're at today to a deeper connection in your relationship with Him and to a greater height in the ministry that He flows through you. And not just you, but to us as a church. I, 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 I wish I had more time to talk to you about all that God did in Calvary in 2017. Friends, it really was a miraculous year. It was a miraculous, miraculous year numerically in the number of new people that joined Calvary. It was a, a miraculous year financially in the resources that God flowed through us. It was a miraculous year from a ministry standpoint, the impact that we were able to have in lives and in our community and literally around the world. The sun doesn't set on the ministries of Calvary because of what our missionaries are doing around the globe, some in very dangerous places, some in very dark places. And we have a hand in that. We have a part in that. And it is an incredible time to be a part of this truly amazing church. That being said, I'm convinced that we're just getting started. But to walk into all that God has for us, it's going to require us to get on our face before God. It's going to require us to humble ourselves before the Lord. It's going to require us to engage in spiritually. That's the reason why we're beginning the year Wednesday night. You need to be here for that time of worship and praise. It's the reason why why we are starting now in 2018, the first Wednesday night of every month, we're going to call it First Wednesday, and we're going to gather for a time of worship, praise, and engage in spiritual warfare. Why? Because we have to take our homes for God. We have to take our workplace for God. We have to take our city for God. We have to take our region for God. We have to take our state. We have to take our world for God. If we're going to do that, we have to walk in power. I refuse, I refuse to, to put myself, I refuse to have us to be in the same place where the disciples were. Where they saw a need, desired to meet the need, but they were not spiritually prepared. Friend, what God, the amazingly cool things that God wants to do through you this year, The remarkable things that God wants to accomplish, that God wants you to experience in 2018. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss that. But you've got to be ready. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.